first lesson for this third Sunday of Easter is found recorded in the book of Acts, chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we are being questioned today for a kind act that was done for the lame man, as to how this man had been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that it was by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him this man stands before you healed. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Our second lesson is found recorded in 1 John chapter 1. We begin at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have observed and our hands have touched regarding the word of life, the life appeared and we have seen it. We testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We are proclaiming what we have seen and heard also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. Our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. We write these things to you so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, but still walk in darkness, we are lying and do not put the truth into practice. But if we walk in the light, just as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. We read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning at the 36th verse. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were terrified and frightened and thought that they were looking at a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had done this, he showed them his hands and feet. While they still did not believe it because of their joy, and while they were still wondering, he said to them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him 
a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. He took it and ate in front of them. He said to them, These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. When he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, he said to them, This is what is written, and so it must be. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Look, I am sending you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the gospel. Grace and peace to you from God, God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, beginning at the 36th verse. This was our Gospel reading from the lectern, and I'd like to read these words once again. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. But they were terrified and frightened and thought that they were looking at a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. Because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they did not believe it because of their joy, and while they were still wondering, he said to them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. He took it and ate in front of them. He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He said to them, this is what is written, and so it must be. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Look, I am sending you what my father promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ and, and worshipers of our risen Lord, I'm wondering how many of you that are sitting here do not have your vehicle doors locked. In fact, my guess is if you have a fob on your keychain, and you have, and probably most of us do, that you probably hit that button at least two or three times and listen to the car horn beep, making sure that that door was locked because one time was not enough. I wonder how many of you sitting right here right now are probably thinking to yourself, I wonder if the house door is locked. And you know it is because you went and locked it. When I grew up, it was not like that. We only locked the house door at night. Even if you went to the grocery store, you left the house open. You never locked the door. 
never thought of doing it. You were never threatened that you thought you have to lock the door. My father, the work truck, would, when I was on the farm, always had the doors wide open and even had the keys in the ignition all day. He would send us out in the evening to finally pull the keys out. Anyone could have come on the property, jumped in the vehicle, and drove away. Oh, how things have changed. In fact, even when we're at home, we make sure the car is locked. We make sure the house is locked even though we're inside. Because the purpose of a lock is really twofold. One is to keep people out, and another is to keep people safe inside. But one thing that a lock cannot do, even if it keeps people out and keeps people safe inside, is that it cannot keep out fear. Because the disciples, and along with those disciples were certainly the apostles, were all together, all together in a room that was locked. And we're told that, first and foremost, it was locked because of the fear of the Jews. No doubt the religious leaders who had convicted Jesus of blasphemy, announcing that he was worthy of death. The very religious leaders that took Jesus the next day to Pontius Pilate coming up with a number of charges, especially the one that said, this is, he claims to be Christ the King. And then it was the religious leaders, when Pilate was actually trying to get Jesus off, who riled up the crowd, causing a possible riot, as they yelled out over and over again, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And if this is what they did to the leader, what would they do to the followers? It is quite understandable why the disciples of Jesus were in a locked room, fearing their lot for their lives. That fear was very real. And I do not doubt that was all, what was also real about their fear was the fear concerning eternal salvation. Jesus had revealed himself first to Mary Magdalene, and then he revealed himself to the other women. He also revealed himself on the, to the two disciples as they were making their way to Emmaus. And then he also, we're told, that he revealed himself to Simon Peter personally. But even in the light of all of that, they were still together in a locked room because even many of the disciples were still, were still wrestling with the fact that the announcement that even came from the, from the angels was that he had risen, that he was alive, that he is not here, speaking of the tomb. So if, if Jesus was alive, you would have thought that they would have rejoiced and been glad and that they would have been celebrating. But instead, they're overwhelmed with fear, and their fear led to doubt. In fact, their fear led to unbelief. In fact, their fear considered the words that they had heard from the others as pure nonsense. So, here, they're struggling with the fact that Jesus is dead. And if you leave Jesus dead, the 
the very Savior who went to the cross to pay for our sins, if he didn't rise, that means he didn't pay for our sins. If he didn't pay for our sins, then that real is very, that fear is very real. In fact, that type of fear is horrifying. Because a fear that believes that Jesus didn't rise, that he remained dead, is living with a fear of being under God's anger. Keep in mind, my friends, that God hates sin. He is a holy God. No sinful human being could stand before a holy God and live. And that being true, the fear of God's wrath and condemnation on you is horrifying. And not only that, what about the fear of guilt? If my sins have not been paid for, then that means I'm still in my sin. Then what am I believing in? I'm believing in this guilt that horrifies me, knowing I deserve God's punishment and wrath, knowing that I am worthy of nothing but his condemnation that is eternal. This means fear of death, and, and I'm not just talking about physical death. This is eternal death in hell, the very place that God made for the devil and the evil angels and all who reject the Lord in unbelief. Fear. The doors couldn't lock, them up, lock it out. Now keep in mind, my dear friends, that we're made up of body and soul. And just like our body needs food and drink and love, and shelter, our soul also has a need. And the greatest need that our soul yearns for, our very spirit cannot live without, is peace. It is the very peace that the world cannot understand. And it is not the peace that comes from this world, because the world's definition of peace is simply ceasing hostilities. Though the peace that was spoken of by the angel at the birth of Jesus, that when he said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, was not talking about peace of a new world order, but rather talking about peace between God and man. Sin had separated us from God, but it would be the Savior who would reconcile us to God and bring us peace no longer being an enemy of God. This is peace that comes from the very lips of Jesus, who when he entered the room said, peace be with you. Yes, you can take those very words to be a common greeting, but knowing that Jesus conquered death and rose again, that word peace be with you took on a whole new meaning. Because his resurrection, once again, is proof that sin has been paid for, is proof that you and I, in Jesus Christ, have the forgiveness of sins. It is proof that you and I have the hope of everlasting life. It, is the resurrect it was the death of Jesus that paid for our sins, 
but it was his resurrection that gave the proof. The proof that you and I live with and take to heart. In the name of Jesus, our risen Lord. That is what chases away fear. See, locked door couldn't get rid of fear. And another thing that a locked door couldn't do, it couldn't keep out Jesus. Jesus appeared to them. Some take these words to mean that Jesus, a solid, went through a solid and came through the doors and appeared to them. Keep in mind, Jesus is the Son of God. He has God's characteristics. He is fully God. And being fully God, he had the characteristics of omnipresence. Taking these words in the simplest way possible, he simply appeared. Clearly, in his state of exaltation. In order to die and pay for the sins of the world, he had to enter the state of humiliation. And the state of humiliation simply means that the very Jesus, who's fully God and fully man in one person, did not make full use of his divine power and glory so that he could keep the law perfectly for us and offer that perfect life on the cross as an atoning sacrifice. He never gave up his divine nature, ever. And now in this state of exaltation, he is making full and constant use of his divine power and glory, which means he's not giving up his human nature. He's still fully God and fully man in one person. And when he appears before the disciples, they were terrified. In fact, the gospel writer Luke uses two different words for fear, really driving home the point that these disciples had complete fear. In fact, what I find fascinating is when Jesus said, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? The word trouble in the original language means to be shaking. You can honestly say that they were shaking in their boots with fear, or really in their case, really shaking in their sandals. But this was fear that just consumed them. So how to overcome this fear? Jesus tells them to use their senses. First, he tells them to look. Look at the nail marks. It is him who had died on the cross and rose from the dead. And you would have thought that would have been plenty because they were seeing with their own eyes. They had now just become eyewitnesses. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He tells them to touch. Touch the nail marks. Touch the marks that are, that are on his hands and feet. And, and many speculate, wondering how many really did touch him. It doesn't matter. He made it available for them. And you would have thought that would have been enough. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He now brings up to them about if they had any, any food to eat and, and some fish that would have been cooked on an open fire. And even some honey to go with it. He ate in front of them, letting them know that a ghost does not have blood and bones and body. 
as you see I have. And you would have thought that would have been plenty good and, and that would have really drove away any of the doubts. And yet he doesn't even stop there. He opens the scripture to them and lets them know that everything that has happened has been fulfilled in the holy scriptures. They were like his fingerprints and he matches Christ perfectly. And then he didn't even stop there. He goes to let them know that they are witnesses. And then he doesn't even stop there. He gives them the promise of the Holy Spirit who's going to come on Pentecost, blessing them with the tools needed to be his witnesses, proclaiming the glorious truth, and this is an absolute truth, that Jesus lives. The proof we have the forgiveness of sins, the proof that heaven is our home. See, Jesus kills doubt. And then over and over and over again, he makes sure it remains dead. Over the years, I have heard people say that it's always healthy and good to have some doubts. That it's always good, because that way you don't take Jesus for granted. You don't take God's word for granted. If you have some doubts, you'll, you'll be one who will actually take it more serious. That's not how God preaches. That's not what it says in God's holy word. That's not what Christianity is all about. And any preacher who preaches that it's okay to have doubts is really a false prophet. Because the truth is, we don't live with doubts. We live with a believing heart in the one who conquered doubt and replaced it with hope, a guaranteed hope. We live with a repentant heart that is sorry for one's sins, but trusting in the forgiveness of sins, which is a gift of God, and a gift we can't thank God enough. So it is with believing hearts that we live each and every day at peace, and with hope that can only come in Jesus, who is our risen Lord. So with confidence, continually say and continually believe as you boldly confess in those gorgeous words that are spoken over and over again throughout Christendom. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.